is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Fantastic. Um, for those of you who don't know me this morning, my name's Adam. Um, I'm part of the leadership team here at Jubilee. And uh, yes, I am the husband of a TV star. I don't know if... Did anyone see Children in Need on Friday night? It was um, my, my wife, Rachel. Um, she's the choir master. Is that the right word? Of um, her, the choir at her school. And they got picked out of all of Derbyshire to, to sing for, for Children in Need as part of a, a big UK initiative. Let's get all the children singing at the same time. Great idea. Um, so, yeah, they were, they were down there and they got some great interviews on East Midlands today. And the, the, the bit she was there saying, oh, yes, they've got together and it was, it was really good. And then the big moment came and they were like, we're now going like, to cut to all the different um, choirs across the UK. And you went to Aberdeen. You even went to Scunthorpe. But did you get to Derby, Nottingham and Leicester? No. So that was a big disappointment, but she was still on the TV, so I've got a great picture of Caitlin looking at the TV, like pointing <laughs> at Rachel on there, so um, that was good fun. So yes, that slightly, uh, slightly foreshadowed it, but never mind. <laughs> anyway, um, this morning um, we're going to be continuing our series of looking um, at Luke. Um, we've got to Luke, Luke chapter 8, if you've got your, got your Bibles with us. Uh, now, I know what you're all thinking. How can I top last time I was up here when I brought you praying in Hebrew and distributing chocolates that broke every single health and safety violation we have written down? Well, I'm afraid I've had to fall back on my regular wit and charm, which means that we're all doomed for a long morning ahead of us. <laughs> I joke, of course. So I, was, I was expecting a bit more. No, you've got lots of wit and charm there, Adam. Come on, you need to, you need to work with me here. <laughs> Why don't we pray quickly to get off the ground? <laughs> Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. Father, we thank you for the power that it brings into our lives. And Father, we pray this morning, Father, as you've spoken to us already through, through our worship, Lord God, that you would continue to speak in power through your word. Yeah, Father God, yeah, I pray, Lord, that um, I'd be able to effectively communicate um, what you've put um, on, the, on my heart for Jubilee this morning, Lord God. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, um, we're going to be looking at the middle part of Luke chapter 8, um, between verses 16 and 39. Um, this is a collection of quite a few different stories, um, which you may be familiar with. Um, there's the story of Jesus calming the storm, um, and also restoring a demon-possessed man. We can see some great things that come out of uh, these stories, such as Jesus' authority, his power, and his calling on our lives. Um, I'm just going to read the first half of the verses now. Otherwise, we'll have forgotten what we're talking about by the time we get to the end. Um, if you've got your Bibles, um, I'm going to start by reading Luke chapter 8, um, starting at verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar of clay or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and his brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, 
My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Okay, stop there. Don't go any further for now. I'm going to be watching if you're going to be reading ahead. Um, There's quite a few different stories there for us to get our teeth into this morning. Um, I wanted to start off by looking at the first big story um, in these verses, uh, Jesus calming the storm. So the previous verses in chapter 8 in the parable of the sower have much to do with responding properly to God's word. But the question that continues to hang over all of these stories is who exactly Jesus is. That's certainly something that not even his own disciples had quite grasped at this point. But the ability to demonstrate authority even over the natural elements of the wind and the waves is a bit of a vital clue that Luke has given us as to who Jesus is. So Jesus and his disciples were travelling across the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've looked into and Google mapped it um, to find a bit more about it. Apparently, it is unique in that it sits between 600 and 700 feet below sea level and is surrounded by hills and canyons, which makes it susceptible to volatile weather patterns that can open up quickly, seemingly out of nowhere. There you go. There's your geography lesson for the day. Um, These storms can be fairly common um, and get quite severe, but this must have been a particularly bad one because even the seasoned fishermen that many of uh, Jesus' disciples were uh, became extremely worried by this storm. Now, here's a little story you, you may not know about myself, but back in, my, back in my youth, and to some extent to this day, um, I'm really into sailing. Um, we used to go uh, racing at a reservoir nearby my school, um, and every, every summer, um, some of my friends from, from back at school, we'd go down to the south coast um, for less serious activities, but we also get some, some sailing in as well. Um, I remember um, one, one day, I was out, out on the sea with my friend James, and it was a, it was a bit choppier than we were used to. Um, the waves can get quite interesting down there sometimes, um, and the wind was gusting, which just means there's a sudden burst all of a sudden, which you know, make, makes things fairly interesting, because all of a sudden you're just poddling along nicely, and then all of a sudden this massive like, force hits the boat, and it's, it's quite um, in, intense at times. Um, now, just to give you a bit of a comparison, what, what I was experiencing that day, it was a bit of a light breeze, really, compared to probably what the disciples were going through. But um, it was getting pretty intense, even for me, uh, especially when I then managed to capsize the boat. Um, we then really started to have a few issues, and trying to get it righted again was a, a, a right drama, because the waves were like pounding the boat, and every time we got on it, something big would go, and then the boat hit my friend James in the head, and we're like, oh my word, we're going to die. It was, it was really bad. You'll, you'll be pleased to know that we didn't die. Um, <laughs> but um, I can tell you that you feel very vulnerable very quickly. You kind of really feel like the, 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 some very strong forces like bearing down on you, and all of a sudden you feel very small in a big expanse of, of sea. And um, yeah, So you'll be pleased to know uh, that we, we, we dragged our, our sorry selves all the, all the way home. Um, I can go into it a bit more, but it was a bit of a drama. Let's, let's just leave it at that. So let's multiply that feeling by a dozen. And I feel the disciples had every reason to be pretty concerned at this point. 
Um, we read that as Jesus was sleeping, um, a violent storm came up. So it was really sudden and it, and it came out of nowhere. Um, and the disciples at that point started to waver in their faith and, and their full grasp of who Jesus was. But they did, however, have the sense to go, go and wake him up. Uh, we see in verse 24 that Jesus just got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. It sounds fairly straightforward, doesn't it? I love the word rebuke. Um, it's been a while since I've seen a good rebuking. Um, in my younger days, I used to try and replicate Jesus' authority over, over natural things by trying to command flies in Spanish to fly out of the window. Um, you'll be surprised that it worked on enough occasions for me to actually continue doing it for a while um, until I concluded I was slightly crazy. But um, Anyway, so rebuking is to express sharp disapproval or to reprimand something. Again, in my youth, I was fairly familiar with that, though usually on the receiving side of things. <laughs> in Mark's account of this story, um, Jesus says, hush, be still. And that's in Mark 4, verse 39. Um, my creative license would prob- probably have taken it a, li- a bit further, something like a scene out of Lord of the Rings or something. But we can see, though, that the storm did not gradually dissipate. It went from a raging high waves to total calm the instant Jesus rebuked it. We also see that Jesus didn't pray to God, asking him to calm the storm. He uttered this command directly. The storm obeyed his authority. You know, only God, who created the world, has the authority to make it obey. So that that action of Jesus is is an interesting element running through this passage that would have been much more apparent to to first century readers, maybe, than than it is to us. Um, In the Jewish mind, it was Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had the power to control the sea. We see that in quite a few different places in the Psalms. Um, Only Yahweh could it be said of, for example, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. That's from Psalm 89, verse 9. But there were many pretenders in that day um, that claimed themselves to have the power to control the sea. Um, The Roman mythological god uh, Neptune was said to be ruler of the sea, for example. Um, Various people claimed the power that only Yahweh had, But now Jesus had actually shown that he had that power. Here was yet another incident where Jesus had done only what God could do. He had stilled the waves and ruled over the surging sea. So the immediate question on the minds of the disciples for them was, who is he? Who is that that can do only what Yahweh can do? It's quite possible at this time that the disciples were slowly beginning to have the suspicions that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, It will take them a a much later thought and revelation um, later on um, in Luke to come to that conclusion. But I'm sure that that question can can echo in our ears too. Luke has been stressing the need to recognise Jesus' authority um, and to fully grasp and to hear and obey Jesus' message in the last few chapters. But now he has made it clear that Jesus had the very authority of God himself to to still the storm. The underlying thought seems to be that if creation itself, including the winds and the waves, obey Jesus' authority, then who are we to not obey him? How silly would it be to deny the authority of the one who can rebuke all of creation? You know, for, for us, this, this scene can, can go beyond just a reminder of the power that Jesus has. Um, we can often identify with the disciples. Um, we feel that you know, we're, we're going through a storm in life and that God is completely asleep or unaware of our problems. Um, Jesus asked his disciples where their faith was, and sometimes we should ask ourselves the same question. 
Is the God who spoke the universe into existence not aware or not capable of um, dealing with the storm we may be facing? Um, Jesus' disciple and confessing Jesus as our saviour means that he is not just going in control of the sea and wind, but he is in control of our lives too. He knows what is going on. He is there just waiting for us to turn to him. He's waiting for us to develop a faith that goes beyond the circumstances that are out of our control. This is something that um, can grow in us over the years we have in relationship with him. You know, the more we see God at work in our lives, the more faith will build and rise within us. We need to make sure we don't forget God's hand in our lives in the past and all he's done for us. Personally, I know that I try and write things down um, when, I, when I note that um, God's been on a situation or if something truly miraculous happens in my life. Um, it's great to be able to go back and um, look over the journey with God, uh, especially because my memory is pretty shocking. Uh, apparently, Rachel and I have entire conversations that I have absolutely no recollection of. Um, maybe I should get her to write it down and sign my name at the bottom or something and maybe prevent less arguments in our households. What do you mean I said you could have a kitten? I never said that. <laughs> to be fair, I did say that. I've just changed my mind. But um, <laughs> let's uh, move on with a massive sense of urgency, shall we? <laughs> um, I wanted to continue now into the next main story in this passage. Um, we'll jump back a little later. Um, so keep your thumb in your, in your Bible. Uh, this story starts in verse 26 um, and is about Jesus restoring a demon-possessed man. This story comes straight after the calming of the storm we've been talking about and was the destination that they were, they were sailing to when they originally got into the boat. So this is uh, Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. I've written, there's, a, there's a word here <laughs> that I always say wrong, and I've even gone to the trouble of writing it out phonetically, but I just looked at it and went, I'm still going to struggle. <laughs> so please forgive me because it's in there twice. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'm pretty confident. They sailed to the region of the Genazarees, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When Jesus saw this, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. But Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven into, by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding them there on the hillside, the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all of the people of the region of Genazarees asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged him to go with them, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told over 
told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is um, one of those biblical accounts that can give us lots of questions um, as Jesus confronts um, another case of demon possession. Um, we read another story um, which we looked at with Graham when we were back in Luke chapter 4 um, about Jesus driving out an impure spirit. Yet, I think we have to be careful not to get caught up in the many questions um, we might have with the demonic side of things um, and focus on the important things that Luke wants us to see here. So, I think there's um, a few important things, um, as I mentioned. The first has to do with the destructive power of evil and Jesus' authority, again, over this situation. Um, the other side is making sure we're listening to Jesus' direction and his call on our lives. But let's, let's start to look through this story and we'll, we'll look into those points a bit closer. So Jesus and his disciples had got into the other side of the lake um, and had arrived in a region that some Jews were living at, but it was primarily a Gentile area. Um, the Gentiles were, in effect, um, any group of people who weren't Jewish. Um, we can see that this was a Gentile region further by the, the herd of pigs in the story. Um, Jews um, saw p- pigs as un- an unclean animal um, and according to the law of Moses neither ate, handled or kept um, the porky perpetrators in their midst. Um, we've just read how Jesus had shown his authority and power as he, as he calmly faced the violent storm out on the lake and now faced another situation ahead. Almost immediately he was met by a demon-possessed man that was living like an animal among the tombs of the dead. In the Jewish mind, this would have made him unclean on almost every level possible, as even stepping on a tomb made one unclean. So between demons and tombs and pigs, you would probably have a more difficult time inventing an unclean scene for a Jew than this one. You can imagine what was going through the minds of the disciples at at this time. Oh my word, we've just nearly drowned and now we've got to shore and oh my word, there's a herd of pigs over there and tombs. Oh my word, there's a naked man, demon-possessed, running towards us. It must have been quite an experience for them. Anyway, (laughs) I think it's important to mention um, that Luke doesn't feel it necessary to give any of the details concerning the demon possession that we might have questions about. But that, as I said before, I don't think is his concern here. The demons recognize the identity and the authority of Jesus immediately, just as the other demons that had come earlier in Luke's gospel. They called him Jesus, son of the most high God. You know, the demonic force had had tortured this young man, causing him to completely destroy any resemblance of human dignity um, and behaviour, but still has the audacity almost to ask Jesus for the mercy of not being tortured themselves. Um, So Jesus orders the identity of the demons to be revealed, but that response is not so much a name as a description. Uh, They reply to the young man, through the young man, that it is legion, because there are many. Um, Now, a Roman legion would be normally made up of about 5,000 soldiers, um, but there's no telling how many um, demons were in this young man. But they knew the authority of Jesus um, and, again, asked for the mercy of not being sent into the abyss. Um, So the the abyss is a place of confinement, um, for for judgment for demons, which is slightly different to the fate of Satan and his angels, who, um, according to Matthew 25, in verse 41, we'll find their fate to be the eternal fire. So there's a bit of distinction there as to what will happen to the forces of evil once the kingdom of God comes in full. Um, we should not lose sight in all this, though, that Jesus has faced the storm of not just one demon, 
but many demons and has calmed them with the same authority with which he quelled the storm with. It can be confusing as to why the demons would, be, uh, would ask to be sent into a herd of pigs and why Jesus would possibly grant such a request. There may be some other questions as to why the herd would immediately rush down the bank and into the water and even more to about what happened to the demons when the pigs drown. But um, as Luke does not answer these questions, I won't attempt to speculate as fun as that might be to do. <laughs> In all likelihood, um, Jesus was making a point. Um, the demons had asked not to be sent into the abyss and Jesus granted that request, but only so that he could demonstrate, I think, several things. So pigs were the classic uh, symbol of unclean animals, and unclean animals were an Old Testament symbol of sin. So Jesus sent the ultimate in evil forces into the ultimate symbol of sin. He then showed his authority over both as the herd of pigs immediately ran into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. You know, the, the, the sea was common Old Testament imagery. If, if you think going back to the Egyptians drowning in the Red Sea, for example, uh, the sea became a symbol for evil and destruction. It was the place where evil came from or would be sent to be destroyed. Um, it's mentioned in Isaiah and Jeremiah um, and also Revelation qu um, quite a few times. So Jesus showed his authority. At this time, he demonstrated authority over evil and sin and the ability to completely destroy it. He may have also foreshadowed the ultimate destruction in the abyss that the demons would face one day, but I may be wandering into speculation at that point. At its core, this is a scene of resurrection and new life for this young man. He had been completely dehumanized by the demons and was truly among the dead, cut off from society in every way and separated from God. He is in some ways a, a picture of ourselves before we knew Jesus separated from God but after encountering Jesus we see him as the perfect picture of restoration he was wild and naked and dangerous but after, and full of evil but after Jesus freed him he is clothed respectful and sitting at the feet of Jesus and wanting to move forward in his life with him he had been brought from sin and death among the tombs and restored to life once again this is what Jesus wants to do for everyone who will recognize his identity. It doesn't matter how sinful or evil someone might be. Jesus has the authority and power to save them. Um, we were singing earlier, You Alone Can Rescue. Um, it kind of struck me as I was, as I was singing, how true would that song have been, um, you know, or resonate with, with this man? And how true does it resonate for, for us as well? Is you alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us and led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. I mean, that, you know, if that song had been written, that man would have grabbed hold of that with every like, fibre of his being. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, and that's, you know, it, it's different for us to think, yes, we're not wild, naked and dangerous living among the tombs. But without Jesus in our lives, we are dead without God and the very fact that Jesus came down to save us and to find us gives us every reason to sing and glorify his name but now this man has been freed he wants to follow Jesus as his disciple and go with him you know many were and uh, were called to do this but this was not the plan God had for him it's not a matter of Jesus being unfair or, or punishing though 
it was just not his role to be one of Jesus' immediate followers. He was given a different way to, to follow Jesus, though. Jesus asked him to go back home and to tell the people how much God had done for him. A little side note that I find interesting here is that Jesus said to say how much God had done for him. Um, it just kind of shows the point that whatever Jesus was doing, God himself was, was doing as well. Yeah, you, can, you can imagine, going, going back home for this man um, would have been no easy task. You can imagine years of living in the tombs, <laughs> wild and naked, to, to then be integrated back into normal society would have been a, a really hard thing uh, to happen. Um, but that's probably the very reason that Jesus um, sent him back. If he, if he left to follow Jesus, then he would probably would have become a bit more than a legend, really, just, oh, there was this man that once lived out in, among the tombs and he was crazy. You know, that's probably as far as it would have, would have gone. But by staying with the people of his community, they would be awed and challenged each time they saw him and heard him speak of the incredible acts of what God had done in his life. His experience is um, a reminder for us then not to follow Jesus by keeping ourselves closed off, but, but to go home, back to our communities, and to tell people about the freeing power of Jesus Christ in our life. You know, we must be witnesses and tell people what Jesus has done for us. This idea brings us back to what Jesus was saying at the beginning of the section we're looking at. If you can jump back with me um, to verse 16. Um, Jesus says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. So th this picture is of someone lighting a lamp and then hiding it so that no one could actually see it. Fairly, fairly pointless is, is, is the point, I think. Um, it was always God's intention that his people would be a light for the world. Um, but uh, Israel and the Jews of the day had turned their light inward and in effect put it under a jar. But Jesus' call for his kingdom people is to be a people that take the word into their lives and allow others to see the effects that that has too. Hiding in amongst ourselves and not shining brightly in the world um, is, a, is a mistake. Um, and we should try to avoid that so that we can evangelize with our friends and build relationships um, with non-Christians. Jesus has called us to be a light to the world and that light has to be seen to be effective. So, as we, as we just begin to, to wrap up, um, let, let's look back. Um, there, there are three key things we've looked at this morning that I'd just like to, to touch on again quickly. Um, firstly, the, the main overarching um, topic from these stories is that Jesus has authority and power. He has authority over creation, over us and our lives, over the evil forces that can cause storms, both spiritually and situations in our lives too. But with just a word, they can be made still. And with the authority of Jesus, nothing is mightier than him. <coughs> this brings us on to the second element, and thinking back to the calming of the storm, that we need to keep hold of our faith to know that Jesus can bring peace to a storm. We need to make sure it's not just at the point um, where we feel out completely useless in our own strength before we turn to him, but that we're seeking God all the time in, in whatever situations we're facing. As we mentioned, he has the authority to bring these things, to bring into these things peace and comfort into those places. 
The third and last point, just to recap on, is for us to be witnesses and to all that God has done for us in our lives. You know, make sure we go back to our friends, our families and neighbourhoods and just take the opportunities to share the different things that can happen as we continue our walk and relationship with God. You know, let's share with each other as well um, the amazing things God is doing in our lives as this in in turn helps build our faith as well. Um, We were really encouraged in our our life group last week um, by hearing after after praying together, um, God broke in the very you know that that night even into the into the situation um isn't it great that god's on the, on the move um so let's let's encourage and share with each other what's going on um and potentially if if it, if it works for you let's make a note of these things let's write it down so we can see and we can look back and we can clearly see and not not rely on our, our own memories or if, if yours is anything like mine um about what what god had done has has done because it's so easy to to look back and go i can't really think of anything really but, you know, if we, if we just make little notes here or there, then it's, it is amazing to, to look back and see um, what we've identified in the past of how God's um, been in our lives. Um, if the band could start to come up, that would be really great. Um, just to, to close today, um, we're just going to spend some time worshipping. Um, let's, let's praise and recognise Jesus' authority and just acknowledge that he is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Um, also, if there's anything, any of those points that you'd like prayer for, then we'd love to, to pray for you. So um, don't feel like you need to wait for a moment to come up. If you, if you do want um, prayer for any of the things that we've um, looked at today, then please, as, as, we're, as we're singing our final song, please do come to the front um, and we'd love to pray for you. Why don't we, why don't we stand together? Um, I'm just going to pray and then... Uh, the band are going to lead us in a song. Yes, Father, we thank you for Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Yeah, Lord God, we we recognise your authority, Lord. We recognise your power in our lives, Father God, and we pray, Father, that your hand would be upon us, Father, that your spirit would fall, and would you work in the various situations um, and the storms that we're facing, Lord God. Father, help us to keep our faith um, in, in those situations. Father, I pray that we would hold on to you um, and always like, look to you in whatever situation we may be in. Yeah, Lord, I pray for real breakthrough this morning. Would you break into the storms and with a single word, would you make them still instantly, Lord God? Yeah, and Father, Father, we pray that uh, you would help us be your witnesses, Lord God. Father, we pray for opportunities to be able to share um, your story um, of work in our lives, Lord, in our workplaces, among our neighbourhoods and our friends, Lord God. Father, we pray for opportunities, Lord God. And Father, would you, would you stir our hearts, Lord God, to take advantage of those opportunities and just not just let them go by. And um, Father, we want to see more people come to know you through just hearing the amazing story of your hand upon our lives. Yeah, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.